Hey, everybody, it's Carter. Welcome to this episode of Making It Up, the show where I get a chance to uh, sit down and talk with other writers. Uh, it's great fun, and I'm having a continued blast doing it. And today was a new experience for me. Uh, today, I talked to Ananda Lima. So, Ananda Lima is a primarily a poet, and I hadn't had uh, a poet on the show before. And it's it's interesting to me because you know poetry uh, is a little bit foreign to me. I, I you know it's not like I can't wrap my head around it. I don't seek it out necessarily, um, but I think I can appreciate it when I'm reading it uh, on those rare occasions. But it's also kind of like to me like lyrics, uh, song lyrics in a way. And I remember um, I had a conversation with Tim Booth, the lead singer of James, and he was saying how a line will just kind of occur to him, whether it makes sense to him or not. But just that structure and the lyricism of that that line um, is something that he would want to um, expand on and make into a song. And in my conversation with Ananda today, she <laughs> she basically said the same thing. It's like, you know, when she's going for a walk, you know, whereas a lot of writers will think about, you know, oh, I'm thinking about my story and then this is what should happen in the plot. She will be thinking of words and, um, and, and a particular sentence that she just loves. And, and that might make it harder to create a, a, a story out of it, but it certainly uh, helps her when she's uh, creating poetry. So it was, it was just really interesting hearing about her thought process. And uh, but she writes more than just poetry; she also writes uh, short fiction, and she's starting work on uh, what sounds like it's going to be a novel. But her most recent work um, of poetry is out. It's called Motherland. It came out in 2021, and it looks wonderful. Um, so, and at the end, we, we, we kind of struggled, uh, but had a great time making up a very bizarre short story based on a sentence from, uh, Stephen King's The Institute. So I hope you enjoy. This is my conversation with Ananda Lima. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Good. So first things first, make sure I'm saying your name right. Ananda or Ananda? The first one, Ananda. That was perfect. Ananda. Okay, <laughs> good. I'd, I would hate to do an intro for you and have your name wrong. <laughs> that was perfect. What and a beautiful background. So, yeah, I'm in uh, my mother-in-law's uh, studio. She's an <laughs> artist, so this is really cool. That's where the internet is good. So. Yeah, exactly. Hey, it's very, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very scenic. It's very uh, like artist at work kind of a vibe that you're giving off. Right. You should see the chair. The chair for the the computer. It's like. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and that wasn't done on purpose. That was just the incident of all the paint falling onto that chair. It's so cool. I'm so sorry for all the mess ups. Oh my goodness. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry about okay. it. Don't worry about it. We're here. We're talking. Where? So where? Where are you physically? Like what state are you? I mean, I'm in Santa Barbara. I usually oh. live in Chicago, but we're just visiting them for a little bit, which is really great. Santa Barbara is pretty nice. Yeah, it's so lovely. That's, did you did you grow up in Chicago? No, we moved there like two. Two year, two and a bit years ago, um, and I had been there for like half an hour before I moved there. <laughs> oh wow! Where did you move from? Uh, from New York. From oh New wow! York, so, 
Yeah, yeah, it was great. I was very like pleasantly surprised. I love Chicago and I didn't know that much about it before, but I really like it. What was the reason for the move? My husband's work. He he had like uh he had to change jobs. So there was one in New York and one in Chicago. And the Chicago one was better. It's like, do you want to move to Chicago? I was like, sure, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a good like, marriage right there that you're that flexible. I guess you, if you're writing, you're like, I can write from there too. I can write. You know, and it's like, I love New York. I love, love it. But I had been living there for like about 13 years. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, it'd be fun to go somewhere else, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, but that's a big move. I know a lot of people who are in New York certainly for a decade or more are pretty entrenched and they can't, you know, cause it's such they a, can get out. it's such a distinct personality in that city. And a lot of people right. like don't want to ever leave. So it's good that you, <laughs> you didn't mind. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was fun. It, and it's easy to go back because it's like they have this early morning flights at like $20. Or oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So it's good. I can visit people sometimes. Do you have Where family? You? Back? I'm in Colorado. I'm just outside oh. of Boulder. Oh, that's cool. My brother lives just outside of Boulder. So that's okay. really cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do you know do you know what city he lives in? It's uh Broomfield. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's there just down go. the road. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> do you ever get out here or Yeah, yeah. And now in Chicago I can drive. Like it take I take two days and stop oh, yeah. on the halfway. Um so yeah, I love visiting. It's really cool. <laughs> oh that's good. That's good. Cool. So you're when you were growing up, did you have, what were your parents doing when you were growing up? What kind of work were they in? Um, my mom, both of them, when I, when I was sort of like aware of what was going on, they were working in a bank, okay. <laughs> the bank of the Brazil, which is, was a public bank at the time. So you kind of do a test and, and you sort of stay for life. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so they both, like my mom was, probably like secretary type work at the time and my dad had worked a lot in different things like he worked at some point for as a travels like traveling salesman for Kodak which is really cool um but when I was aware of what job they had they were both in in um the bank and this was this was where in Brasilia. In Brazil. Which is the capital. Brasilia, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. I've heard a lot of things about Brasilia. So when did you move to the States? Uh, I moved to the States in the early 2000s. So I first left uh, Brazil. I went to Australia. Hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, it was, I went there. So I like moving, as you can see. So I went there as a uh, high school exchange. Uh, just for a year. And I really liked it. So I sort of made it happen to come back. And I worked there for a bit. And I went to university in Australia. Um, and then I lived for about seven years there. And then after that, I came to uh, UCLA for grad school. And that's how I sort of came to the US. Got it. So you're growing up in Brazil. Um, obviously, I assume Portuguese is your first language. And then yeah. but you're you're learning English, I assume, through um, grade school and everything. So, I mean, obviously, your English is very strong. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I actually, you know, we learn, we all in Brazil, everybody kind of learns English from grade school, like middle yeah. school on. Um, but it's 
I don't know how it is now, but it was really bad. Nobody spoke any yeah. English after that, you know. Um, so I did not speak that much at all uh, before I went to Australia. And that was kind of the reason um, that I went, you know, like, oh, okay, let's learn English. I went through this uh, high school exchange and then I learned because I think when you go kind of young and there was no Brazilian people at all. Uh, so that was like a very intensive exposure. So then I learned that that year. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by, by mo people who can speak multiple languages and I have such respect for it, but it's as a writer, I think it's so interesting because the idea, like I feel so comfortable in you know, my command of, of English that to express myself in another language that I haven't mastered, is humbling. Um, but it sounds like you got an early enough start where do you now, now at this point in your life, do you consider, you know, one language to be stronger than the other? Yeah. So I think Portuguese is, is, is sort of certainly like have this native status. Like I can tell, uh, you know, I was, I was, uh, in linguistics before. So when I say mm -hmm. grammar, I say like what people say, not what the rule book says. Right. Uh, right. But, you know, so in Portuguese, I'm, I'm sort of confident that when I'm saying things, that's the way people say it. In English, um, I have a very good uh, command to do what I need to do. But like, for example, prepositions like on, in, at, <laughs> you know, yeah. I know the rules. But like I have to check sometimes. I'm like I ask my husband, is this in on? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so there's little wrinkles. Uh, but I do feel like that in writing, I often feel more comfortable in English. Hmm. Um, both because I'm so immersed in it, so sort of my thoughts, a lot of things that I'm thinking about currently, the words are in English. Right. Um, and the other thing is that Brazil, I think I, it's similar to France in that they have like the academy, you know, it's it's very, the written language is very pompous compared to the spoken language. Mm. English, English has a couple of little things, but the distance in Portuguese is much greater. Yeah. So when, yeah, so when you write, um, you kind of have the way people write and the way people speak. So if you write the way people speak, you call a lot of attention to the language because that's not the, usually the way people write. But if you write the way people write, it's very different from the way people speak. So it feels very artificial to me. Huh. So that, yeah, that navigation is very, very hard for me. Uh, and English is, is, is a little bit, I can write and not have that, aspect so visible all the time you know? yeah that's interesting because as a poet you know expression it's all expression yeah. and i you know you've got to find just exactly what's fitting what you're trying to say and that might not be a formal <laughs> kind <laughs> of oh that's interesting so do you ever yeah. do you ever do you write in portuguese like do you, you write poetry in portuguese also and um, it's very rare. Um, so, so I think um, there was there was this summer that I wrote like a a short story in Portuguese, and I was writing a lot of little bits of poems in Portuguese. And then I I tried to figure out why, and I realized it's because I had spent 
a month in Portugal, then a month in Brazil. I was like, mm. oh, that's why I did that. Uh, so, but I do think when when there's memory involved, often little bits will come in Portuguese or sometimes when I get fixated in a certain sound, so they're very short. <laughs> yeah, film. right. Um, yeah, so, so um, there's always a, a presence in, of Portuguese, but it's, it's um, shorter in, in sort of page <laughs> space. Right. And, and I think that's kind of a little similar to the way I talk to my son now. When he was little, that he didn't have that much English influence. We spoke just in Portuguese. But now that he like talks to his friends and the whole, his whole world in any, is in English, we like speak English with a little bit of Portuguese and then English. <laughs> right. So he's getting a flavor. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, so you you went on exchange in high school to Australia. And then um, at that time in high school, were you having – were you you seen in yourself like a, a, a need to write, to write poetry, to write fiction? Was that something that was interesting to you back then? So um, when I was, so I went there um, as like a teenager. I think when I was a kid, I wrote like kid poems. <laughs> you right. know? They rhymed so and everything. Rhymes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then, then I was sort of getting out of the kid poems. And I I wrote diaries always during that time mm. and letters, but I did not think of myself as a writer. Um, and then after that, I would be on and off with either diaries. And I think at some point, um, college, about college, I started writing fiction, but very secretly. I never showed anybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> For like. Uh decades you know <laughs> right um so yeah so that's that's kind of, of of how it went and um and then I never I thought of myself as a fiction writer even as I first told people I was writing something um but I would go on walks and these lines would come like I would get a line or one hmm. single line or two, and then I'll try to write a story that fit that line Hmm. And the story was super crappy and I just liked the lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I realized, oh no, these things are not stories. These things are poems. So it was kind of a rediscovery much later. That's so, so you're, you're the first poet that's been on the show. So I'm, I'm interested in picking your brain. Cause I, I don't know much about, I'm very ignorant about poetry. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I went through that same phase in high school where I had a book of poems that I wrote that they all rhymed. I remember even trying to like, I submitted it and stuff like that. And I think so one cool. of my, Oh, I think one of my poems was published in some little magazine somewhere, like when I was like 15. <laughs> and that was, that was funny. I think about it. That's probably my first publishing experience, but I, I'm very ignorant about poetry. So, but that's interesting what you say, you know, a lot of writers I talk to fiction writers, they walk around the block and they think in plot. Uh, they don't mm -hmm. think of that 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 beautifully phrased, perfectly balanced amount of syllable sentence that you're talking about. You're like, that's just a, a beautiful sentence. So when you think about those phrases and you think about constructing a poem around that thing you thought of, is there is is it an emotion you're feeling? Is it a story maybe, but you're just expressing it differently. How do you think about it? 
first of all, I love I love what you just said about your friends because I'm like, yes, that that makes total sense now, because <laughs> you know? it was like the line and the sound, yeah, yeah. So I think it it's it works very. Um, um, there's many different types of entry points that sort of uh, seeds for for a poem. Sometimes it's the literal line the way it is. Like I may add it later, but that's the line. Sometimes it's like a weird little fact uh, that just stays in my mind. I, I think like you feel like a, a tickle, like this is interesting somehow, right? <laughs> um, so it may be the line, uh, which is very nice because then you have something to start and you just sort of go from there. Um, sometimes is is a, a phrase, sometimes is a, a fact that is floating around. So one of them that stayed with me four years and it's still there. It's like a, um, by like the vision that our vision is like front facing and not like this, like yes, goats, you know? yeah, right, right. And uh, and and uh, for me, I was like look, thinking a lot about humans, and I was kind of down. And and you know, these are the eyes typically of predators, and these are the eyes of prey. I was like, oh, this is so depressing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so that that kind of floated around. I wrote many poems that don't have this fact, but that was sort of generated with me oh, to write about that was the inspiration that. for it yeah exactly and then and then it, it was fun because then i started writing about binocular vision a lot because my son and i have issues with binocular like we have amblyopia which is a condition of binocular you know focusing both eyes yeah. so i was like oh that's so interesting because they're separate but they're both floating around generating stuff um one recent example that I have not written, a, no, I have written a little bit about, but I, I just saw online on Twitter, somebody posted um, night dreams that people have. I don't know if it's real at all, <laughs> but they, they had a map uh, showing that what's the most frequent dreams in different countries. Yeah. And it was the world was divided into teeth. Let me see. I have it huh. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I don't dream about teeth. I know, right? Uh, I think this is it. See, I found it so cute that I... Teeth falling out or snake. Those were the most common. Huh. <laughs> I don't know if that's true at all. I just saw it on the internet. But it was very neat because, you know, Brazil and a lot of sort of the global south was snake. I guess places... I have to check out Australia. Places where snakes are... Yeah, I don't know. lots of snakes in say, Australia. Right? Um, so snake and lots of teeth falling out here. Um, so I started, that I thought was very cute and interesting. So that fact stays there and it starts sort of bubbling it out and generating stuff. So I have facts that tickle me. I have lines. Sometimes it's an image, like you're walking around and you see something. It's almost like a photograph, you know, you're like, oh, that's a cool thing. Um, so that those are uh, usually the things that are seeds for poems. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, but I don't know what's going to happen with that before right. I start writing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're like me. You don't outline. <laughs> exactly. I just exactly. wing it. Uh, oh, that's cool. I mean, that's very interesting because there's, uh, you know, I, I've talking, I've talked to uh, lyricists with uh, bands before, and a similar kind of thing where a line will just come to them, and and you 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 end up reading the lyrics of a song, and to you, it maybe doesn't make a lot of sense, but to the writer, 
it's like, oh, this is about my father. And I never would have picked up, but but that's it's it's the same kind of a thing. It's very personal, right? You're not necessarily my my impression is you're not necessarily so focused on the the reader totally understanding the place you're coming from as opposed to just having it wash over them. I, I don't know if that's an accurate I love it. That to me makes so much sense. I think I think that's totally right. Because <laughs> that's how I feel about reading lyrics of songs. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but it's beautiful. Right. Um, Something's happening. Yeah. <laughs> what did you study at college? I studied linguistics and psychology and okay. I was doing both. Yeah. I didn't know what I was going to pursue, but I liked both very much. Um, and then I think about my third year, I decided, no, that's, I'm going to do linguistics. Um, and I was very serious about it. Um, and then I came here for graduate school for it. Um, and I thought for a long time that that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a linguist and I really didn't see any other alternative for a long time. That's a very specific <laughs> field of study. Yeah, yeah. So very you got, specific. you got like a master's in linguistics. At, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. So I was, I was in the PhD program um, and I was very too focused, I think for too long, uh, you yeah. know, on it. And I love, I love the subject itself, but over time in the PhD program, I noticed that my classmates, um, who I love, they, linguistics was their whole life, you know, like they didn't, ha that, that was like, it took the whole soul. And I was like, mm -hmm. no, 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 <laughs> that is not my whole life. I would love to do a little bit of this, but I don't want that to be my whole life. Um, so I sort of realized in the PhD program, watching others that, it wasn't the same to me as it was to them. And, you know, with these like academic careers, it's just so random and you end up anywhere and you spend so many years floating around, trying to get a job. I was like, I'm not going to do that if I don't know that that's all I want. <laughs> you know. So what would be like if you if you had gotten a Ph.D. in linguistics, what would have been the natural type of work that you would have been doing like some of your colleagues are maybe doing now? Yeah, so mostly it's an academic path, yeah. and the only only place that you can work is as a professor in a, in a university, uh, which for them is very hard. But when they get there, like when they got there, it's like a dream because they yeah. have to do nothing but think of that stuff. Um, some people, but then it doesn't make a huge difference if it's a, a master's or a PhD, which is what I realized. Um, they work in tech, like in search and um, hmm. things like that, because hmm. you, you need a linguist there to sort of try to figure out how answers are, how how to understand questions that people type, <laughs> you know, right. that's another path. Yeah, the, those are the, the, but the academic is the most common. So... I, we talk a lot on this show with other writers about not only the aspect of writing, but the, but the, the reality of the business of writing. And, and those two, those two things are very disparate sometimes, right? Like, you know, your all your passion is in the written word and then to actually make a living doing it is incredibly difficult, if not impossible for most people. Um, so as you're, as you're deciding not to pursue your PhD and you're getting more and more into writing, 
how is that manifesting itself with the reality of like, you know, this is going to be my job? Yeah. So, so, um, luckily for me, I did not, at that time of that transition, I didn't, um, I wasn't, uh, brave enough to like be out as a writer. (laughs) So, so I didn't, um, I, I, I went, so I, I got a job like with, uh, uh, knowledge manage people yep. so it's like the search um you know using the linguistics to sort of provide answers to questions kind of thing. got it uh, so I was like okay this is gonna be my job um and I loved the sort of technical part of it like the, but most of it was not technical but I thought this is my day job I'll do other things I was out of like a, as a photographer so I, I did my photography and both basically I didn't think to to live off writing. Um, I was thinking either the photography takes off enough or I'll stay in this job, you know. Yeah. Um, and then and then as the years went by, um, we had a kid and then I was I started adjuncting because I couldn't mm-hmm. um, keep the it was just too much time. Yeah. Um and I actually I didn't start adjuncting. I I went back to adjuncting because like, I did some before, um, and that was fine for a while. But the 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 pay can be so low, especially if you have a kid. It's like, you know, <laughs> right. the childcare. So then we ended up doing the math and saying, look, I can keep adjuncting. Okay, take care of the kid and not doing the childcare. That's very expensive. Um, which yeah. I prefer, yeah. Which I preferred, anyways. I think people have very different personalities. Right. But I was like, I don't want to be adjuncting, and I don't want to be in this job. I want to write and take care of the kid. Right. You know, when the that, cost of daycare exceeds what you're making, it doesn't make any sense. Exactly, because the the cost is the same, and I didn't have ambitions for a corporate career or whatever. Because I think people sometimes they they pay the childcare because they have a vision for whatever they want to yeah, get. Yeah. There's, there's a fear that you're going to get left behind. And then exactly. if you're out of the workforce for five years, then all of a sudden who wants to hire me? That's, that's it's a very so, real thing. Yeah. It's such a hard balance, but I was like, no, 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 I don't even want these jobs. I'm only doing it because I have to pay the bills. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So then we thought about it and it was the best decision. And so that's, that's kind of where I am now. So I, I make a little bit, of like teaching and events and some t- something like that, but we would not not be enough to sort of support us. Um, I think it would be very difficult, especially as a poet, um, to to make it so that it's enough to to pay my bills. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's incredibly difficult. I mean whether it's novel writing or poetry or nonfiction, you know, uh, there's a lot of people who are. You know, we're journalism majors and they continue to work in, 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 you know, in the dwindling field of journalism in order to support their, um, their, their writing as well. It's, it's, it's really difficult and you might have a successful book, but that doesn't mean your next one's going to be, you know, it's very, so what was that? So what, what's the process been like? Cause I, again, I, I, I'm, I, I see poetry as this thing that I, I struggle to like understand, not the poems themselves, but just the craft of it. 
How I do also you feel that way sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because so you even talked about the fear of calling yourself a writer, which which is permeates every writer. <laughs> you know, I'm embarrassed to tell people I'm a writer. I don't know why. It's just it's just a thing. And just learning how to write a novel and saying at the end of it, like, is this a novel? I don't know. How do you know when you have a book of poems? Like, how do you know when it's done? Yeah, I love I love that question. So for me, um, I always think because I also write fiction and I, I like admire so much people can write novels. You know? <laughs> um, so I write fiction, but I, right now I write mostly uh, short stories and yeah. then I write poems. So these um, a little bit easier to manage in the ongoing process, both because you're communicating with the world as you're writing, right? You, you have your poems out before the book is out. So you're not like writing the whole thing and then sending the final product, right? So the part's out there. And while you're writing, you're sort of like playing with order and what's set for a long time. Um, and and I think it was a, a very, you know, you, you're playing with the order. And as you're writing the poems, the tone is shifting and you, you start to realize sort of areas you know of, of similarities between the poems right and I think yeah and I think there's some you, you start seeing shapes of moods that you could put hmm. together so there's a lot of playing around with order and and who goes with which poem goes with which poem uh for a while um and you think and and then for a while I thought is this ready is it not ready is it ready is it not ready but then once I got one that I actually actually felt ready I knew a little better, you know? You just like, sensed no, that it was work. done. Yes, yes. But before, I didn't know it wasn't done. <laughs> right. Know? I was like, well, but, yeah. but when it was done, I, I felt it was done. That's so interesting what you said um, about, you know, rearranging the poems. Because so much of, of novel writing, for example, I, and I always preach this to, to aspiring writers who struggle to get a book done, the biggest problem is they just don't get the book done. You know, they, they're worried about everything being perfect and they don't finish it. And to me, I'm like, just finish it. It's going to not be good. And then the, then it comes alive, hopefully, in the editing. Now, with you, you've written all these poems and you're rearranging. It almost sounds like you're looking for a kind of that connective thread that hopefully was there subconsciously when you were writing all of these poems. But are you actually going back and changing the poems based on now, now you're seeing a connective thread and that makes you rewrite some of them or do they stay intact? Uh, I love that question. But first of all, before I forget, thank you. I will write your advice, note your advice and write my novel. <laughs> Just get it done. <laughs> get it it done. doesn't have to be good. <laughs> I have to do that. But yeah, so, um, so I do change the poems a lot, like little things, but I think it's a little bit less based on, on the connective tissue. But I think that's very true that you're finding sort of how it works as a book as, as opposed to individual poems. But one thing that I think happens more is writing new poems. So you kind of notice a vibe and notice it going this way. And you're like, oh, maybe I should think of, about more poems about that that would go in this session and I start thinking about those themes and write new poems to put there. Um, sometimes like um, I will write a couple of poems 
and I realized, oh, this is this is all in a theme, or it's exploring a, a one type of form. I should try more of these because this is a thing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So sometimes when I'm writing, I'm like, oh, okay, this this could do more stuff. Also, the opposite. So maybe I have a set of poems, and they sort of fit kind of okay but then i have another one and i find oh this is what this is about this poem has to go <laughs> you know interesting interesting yeah. so and what's the what's the process like i assume that you're you know you're sitting out um queries with samples and things like that like how does does somebody need an agent to get published as a poet is that necessary or what how difficult has it been just that whole publication process yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, this is great question for me because now I'm trying the fiction way. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's so different. Yeah. No, so, so poetry basically is is mostly so not commercial. I think very few, if any, people publishing poetry, as in the presses, make any money of the poetry. You know, um, I think I think that the 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 big whatever big place that has poetry usually is sponsored by the fiction and nonfiction, you know, like the books that sell, you know, right. but they have an the, umbrella where they're also, they cover poetry little, as well. Yes. But mostly, uh, most, most, most poetry collections are sort of small press, like labor of love situations. So the, the prizes and payments are usually very tiny. So no, there's usually no agents, people who have agents who are poets, either they, Usually, either they write another thing, like they write fiction, or they are speakers, like they they attract the right. masses, you know. Right. Right. Um, yeah, but the Maya uh, Angelou but, type. <laughs> exactly. It's like yes, yep. exactly. Yep. But uh, but um, so so um, usually no agent, and most of them are through contests or open uh, mm. reading periods that you just send your thing through submittable, just like you would submit a story or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing to watch out is just the entry fees, you know, like, so you have to sort of uh, calibrate your sending. <laughs> um, you can resend for the, to the same press. Uh, so, so usually what happens for me, and I think for a lot of my friends, you, you've sent out your first year, Maybe it's great. Maybe it's not. Uh, you may not hear from anybody. The second year, maybe you'd be finalist for a couple of people, <laughs> you know. Um, and then once you're a finalist, you're like, okay, I'm going to I'm close. And then it's <laughs> in the next year, or however many years it takes. But it's just sending to context, basically. Interesting. Usually. And when you and when you do publish a book of poems with the press, um, do you, what is, what is that process like? Do you actually get, so with the novel, your editor is going to say, okay, here are all my edits. Does that happen with poetry? I love that question. Yes, in my experience. So I think there'll be differences because of how big the presses are. Yeah. Um, but for me, um, it's like that, but it's, I would, I would say that probably a fiction writer would be like, what that's all you know the ads yeah. are not as gigantic you know right. um so so you know it, there will be a, a short round of editing the poems themselves and be like oh did you mean this and like what do you think of this word but it's kind of very light compared to fiction yeah. editors um and then 
and then you have a couple of rounds of that and then you have the copy edit that's a very good one <laughs> yeah know? where they catch like whatever they look at like i don't know like i for example i had lead I wanted lead like the thing lead, not yeah. somebody lead. Right. And I had written the other way. And that's a big change. Yeah. And then they catch all these little things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. For uh, sure. Which is great. Uh, and, but with, you know, with, with poems, there, I feel like there are less rules. So you're like, I, I meant, I wanted to keep it lead <laughs> that way. <laughs> exactly. That was part of my artistic choice. Exactly. And I actually had it as lead, the thing, but I wanted the lead, the, somebody led somebody to be yeah. very um, present. Right. So I actually wanted it there, but I wanted it to be written as one and not the other. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of space for that. There's a lot of space. <laughs> as you, so as you kind of, um, you know, continue your career, do you have, what are your thoughts about like, this is what I want to do next, or this is where I want to be. I don't know if you think like this, like 10 years from now, um, or is it just, is it very, you know, I'm very happy just writing my, my poetry and, and, and whatever happens happens. Um, yeah, I love this question. I have to think, I think about that a lot, but I don't know the answer. Right. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> But here's the thing. So the next thing's a little clearer for me. Like, uh, so I I have a short story collection, and I I want a fellowship where I work with an editor. That's why now I know how much editing editors <laughs> as fiction yep. people get. So so she's wonderful, uh, and she she is at Macmillan and uh, Tor. Mm. So this is wonderful. Yeah. So she she is working with me in this story collection that I already have. And I'm very glad of the timing because I think this is a time I would not be writing had I had I not, you know, uh, I would not be working on this because I, I'm so busy with the book. So right. it's really great. But this is a, I'm very focused on that. I really think that uh, I'll be able to finish this year this book. So that's the short story because it's it's like the draft is there. I'm just doing the, you know all the other stuff. Right. right. <laughs> um, yeah. So that is the first thing. And then I think my second uh, book of poetry, I'm in very early stage, but I am in the stage where I already know it's a book and I know kind of what's about, you know, hmm. it takes a while of writing random poems and going, I'm not writing a book yet. I'm just writing poems. But now I, I, I have the, the nice solid early, bit of this book so i know these two things are going to happen first the short story and then the poetry collection um now i don't know what's going to happen after that i'm in a in a stage yeah. of uh of so searching of how much time with this book when it's ready uh do i spend uh trying each route because I'm not sure how commercial it is. <laughs> you know? So, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, and that's a hard thing to be thinking about, right? I, yeah. I, I feel like I'm the same way, you know, I might be writing something and I've, I've written enough where I know kind of what's expected, I guess, of me. But if I thought about that while I was writing, it takes all the joy out of it. You know, if I start thinking about, is this commercial or is my audience going to like this? As opposed to like, this entertains me. This is meaningful yeah. to me. Hopefully it'll resonate, but it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword for sure. Because 
your editor might be like, I don't like this. <laughs> this isn't yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carter Wilson novel. And so, you know, it, it's, yeah. you, you got to balance I, that. Exactly. And I think it's, um, I, I think I'm very lucky with the editor I got because she's wonderful and she's very, very commercial. Whereas as I'm very, very experimental. And the like I, I like the people in my MFA, they were like in the clouds and it was really fun and all the stuff I like. But it's great because she's very also she's like, you don't have to change this. This is what it, and, and then I kind of get some awareness. Um which is being very good. But also my awareness is going more like, oh, I think I'm kind of a like more experimental person. You know, that's <laughs> right. what I like to do. <laughs> so, yeah. And there's a market for so that we'll for see. sure. So we'll see. Yeah. So I think it, it may be who knows where it's going to be. But yeah, yeah that's well, that's what I don't know about the future. <laughs> yeah. That's OK. You don't yeah. have to know about the future. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Ananda, we're going to wrap up, but we're going to do a little storytelling first. So we can okay. we can we can do this however you want to do this. We can we can do poems. We can do <laughs> whatever we want. But you're going to pick a sentence out of a, out of a book, and then we're just going to alternate back and forth and just see where it goes. So I'm going to give you three books to choose from. They're all <laughs> these are all just kind of random that I pulled from my bookshelf. So Love Stephen it. King's uh, The Institute. <laughs> Uh, Joan Didion, uh, The Year of Magical Thinking. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, Nine Stories by Salinger. That's, let's do, let's do the Stephen King one. Okay. <laughs> see what happens. It's a good book. So give yeah, me a I'll page between one and 600. Um, 439. Okay. <laughs> And you can give me a sentence between one and seven. Five. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, um, so I'm going to read this. So there's two people in this scene. And, um, and I'm going to read the sentence. And then ju you just give me a sentence, a thought, whatever you want to do. And then I'll do a couple sentences. And this will last like two minutes. And then I'll call it. <laughs> and, then, and, I, and, and if you want me to go first, I'm happy to go first too. But I'm going to read this sentence. So Tim and Wendy are in this scene. As Tim and Wendy hurried up the short aisle between the four empty cells, they heard a man's voice. I don't know. You go first. Okay. I'll go first. As Tim and Winnie hurried up the short aisle between the four empty cells, they heard a man's voice. You're not supposed to be in here, the man said. They still couldn't see him, but his voice had a deep gravel. This isn't visiting hours. <laughs> Wendy, Wendy grabbed her purse. Um, and what's his name? <laughs> Tim. Wendy grabbed her purse and Tim gently took, uh, moved her hand away. <laughs> Tim leaned over and whispered in Wendy's ear. How many bullets are in your gun? He asked her. She turned and said, three. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, he, he nodded. And proceeded to, and proceeded to, no, he nodded <laughs> and, and said to the man, oh, I didn't realize that the store was closed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it was interesting there being a store inside the prison, but there was. And Tim and Wendy looked at the man, his face wrinkled with time, his eyes seemingly lifeless. Wendy said, why are you selling corn dogs here? <laughs> All right, last line is for you. <laughs> the man said, "What? What? What is it? it what is it? It's it's none of your business." <laughs> <laughs> um, while Wendy aimed for her first shot. <laughs> oh, there you go. The poor man's just trying to make a living, and she shot him dead. <laughs> That was fun. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> that could have been a poem. There you go. <laughs> we just got some some of the words and it will right. work out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Ananda, it was a pleasure to meet you. It was a pleasure to speak to you. I, I loved hearing about your 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 journey and your experiences and, and about kind of your thought process as you write not just poetry, uh, but certainly short stories and and looks like it's going to be maybe some long form fiction. So uh, I, I I'm excited for, for your continued journey and, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It was so lovely to meet you. And this is really fun. Take care. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was my conversation with Ananda Lima. So uh, I really had a good time talking to her. And again, it was great to kind of have her deconstruct for me kind of the process of writing poetry versus um, other types of fiction. And it's fascinating that uh, she's uh, such a such a background in linguistics and uh, how that kind of helps her when she's thinking about language. So if you want to know more about Ananda, please visit her website where she has got all her information on there about the books you can buy, anandalima.com. And if you want to find out more about me, just go to carterwilson.com. I hope you enjoyed this. I really appreciate you either watching and or listening. So take care. We'll have more episodes out soon. Bye. Bye.